0: Let me uh, open in a word of prayer, and um, we'll just dive right in. Father, we are so overwhelmed by the fact of your lavish love. In spite of ourselves, we have been shown such extravagant love. A love that extends higher than the heavens and deeper than the deepest seas. A love that knows no bounds. And this love comes from a God who reveals himself. You reveal yourself to us in what we can see around us, but most preeminently in your word and in through your son as he's been revealed to us through your word. And so, God, this morning we ask for your spirit... (laughs) to show us yourself and to help us to understand why we have preaching. God, this is a, a strange sermon for me to get up and to preach about preaching. It feels strange, but it is a word, word that we need to hear and think about. So God, we just ask for your help this morning. As we read earlier, I pray now that the words and meditations of my heart and my mouth would be acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our Redeemer and our Rock. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I, I alluded to, we've taken a short break from the book of Joshua and Luke um, to walk through the main aspects of what Edgewood's about. And, and, and really the thinking behind that is, is there's a lot of new folks here. And um, we do things differently. <laughs> um And we want you to understand there's thinking and reasoning behind it um i I thought I would actually just kind of just take a few minutes to introduce myself a little bit because I know a lot of you I know you all actually in some regard, but I think you may not know a little bit of my background i I grew up in this town and moved away in ninety six to follow a girl and uh, um, went to college oh and was God shoot. Yes, it was Audria. <laughs> she had grown up here too, but her dad was mean and moved her away. I followed her, and uh, a year, we went, I went to Wisconsin, uh, University of Wisconsin in Stevens Point and then Oshkosh and graduated and went to work in um, computer stuff and did that for six, seven years, and um, God directed our paths, directed my heart, influenced my heart, to want to be a pastor, and I had brought it up multiple times over the years to Audria. We'd have speakers come in, and we'd come home, and I'd say, oh, man, I I know God wants me to do ministry. Well, one of those Sundays came again, and she just, as she has such a nice way of saying things, she said, you need to just fish or cut bait, bud. (laughs) I think she may have said something else. A little less polite, baby, but uh, I'll give that one. And she was right, I needed to to follow the Lord, and so I went off to seminary, and um, ended up being a pastor in a couple of different areas around the Midwest, and eventually in our last stint, essentially, was six or seven years up in Minnesota for the second time, and I was working 40 hours a week on my IT job, and I was supposed to only be doing about 15 to 20 on the church job, but as If anybody know, any of you know, pastoral ministry doesn't, it's hard to lock that in. So I was working about 40, 45 hours on the church too. And then we were going through a lot of crisis trial in our own life as a family. And that was taking about 10 to 15 hours of my week. So I found a little time to sleep and I burned out and um, didn't really want to be a pastor anymore. Um, (laughs) So I, I went and talked with my mentor and he said to me, I was saying to him, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this IT thing full-time or pastor full-time, but this doing both thing isn't working. And, and he's, he's such a wise guy. He said, Paul, the problem isn't that. He said, the problem is you don't know how to say no. And uh, that was, that was a, a good word for me to hear. And um, so we decided to move back to our hometown. My mom was getting older, and I wanted to be around um, to help in any way I could. And so we came back here. And over the course of a couple years, I was able to get my head straight and rest and minister in small ways. And then um, over the course of 2020, and actually a little bit before that, I was starting to fill the pulpit in multiple little churches in the area. Like, people were asking me, to just, can you come speak? Are pastors sick? And, and, and then the opportunity came up to possibly be an assistant pastor at a different church in the area. And I really wasn't... Um, really excited about it, <laughs> and, and I called up Matt, and I'll, I'll be honest, guys, when I moved here, I'm getting really personal, this isn't even in the script at all, <laughs> uh, I, when we moved back here, I knew that Edgewood, because me and Matt have talked over the years since I moved away from Danville, um, I knew that Edgewood would be the place that I would fit in best, I knew theologically we were on the same sheet of music philosophically, but it was a tiny church, and I had been in tiny churches for years, and I was still afraid of, like, I can't do that right now. I'm burned out. We were moving here, back here. And so that's why I went to a different church. Well, I called up Matt, and I said, hey, let's go out for breakfast. And I didn't tell him why. I was going to go out for breakfast. We were going to go out for breakfast. And um, I don't no to breakfast. he doesn't see no to breakfast. So you said, are you <laughs> <laughs> he asked me if I was buying no, we, yeah, I, I don't know if I did that day, I might have, I needed to, so I went there to tell him about this other opportunity, and he, I, before I even told him, he told me about, well, would you come here, <laughs> and so I, 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 we laughed about it, and, and I basically, I wanted to learn more about Edgewood, I knew it from a distance, but I didn't know a lot about it. And so we talked about how he does church and how, does, and how I was burned out at the, in the past. And it came down to, I can only do what I can do. And I want church to be as simple as possible. We don't do programs, he said, not because there's something wrong with programs, but we just want to stick with what the basics are that we know the word tells us a church should do. And he says, beyond that, that's all I can do anyway. And I'm like, if I can keep that thought in mind, I think I could do this. And so we we don't do a lot. Matt and I, we really, I mean, we preach. But it really comes down to that verse that he looked at last week, Acts 2.42. And that the church, the first church, didn't have bells and whistles. (laughs) It had devotion to the teaching. It had devotion to the fellowship. It had devotion to... The prayers and devotion to the breaking of bread, the ordinances. And if we're doing those things, I think we're being faithful to what God asks us to do. Now, if God directs and other things happen, well, he would raise up somebody to do it. Because I don't think these two guys here <laughs> are probably going to be the ones leading all that. But the point is we want to be simple. We want to do what God's word has. And so he kind of gave that overview last week about what we're about. And then listed that we're going to do some talk about certain points of what we do and why we do it and how we do it. And this first one is about preaching. Which is a really weird thing for me to preach about preaching. And in fact, it's not even really like preaching in some sense. It's going to be kind of like teaching. Um, but we'll do our best here. here we go. I, I want to just give you this first quote. Because I think it's, it should wreck, rock your boat a little bit. It does me. Um, Albert Muller says, Preaching is the first mark of the authentic church. And not just the first mark, he says it's the essential mark. The mark without which the other marks do not matter. Where this mark is not found, there is no church. Now that is provocative. Now think about that. That means, would you be okay if the only thing we did this morning was sing and do prayer time and give? I hope you would say no. For those of you who are like, well, I might be okay with that because I don't like to hear Paul speak. (laughs) Um, But if that's all we did, now those things we believe are biblical to do, what he's saying here is you're really not doing what church is supposed to be about. In a sense, then, the central thing ought to be preaching and things should flow from that. And that's what I agree, and that's what I want to kind of show you today. Um, For us, Edgewood is about what's called expository preaching. Um, and you may be like, what is that? Well, that's why I'm going to stand up here and help you see this morning, and I'm going to do that by just asking three questions. Why do we need preaching? Why do we need expository preaching? And how can you participate in preaching? So let me just start with that first question. Why do we need preaching? And the simple answer is pretty easy because God tells us to. (laughs) Right? Because God tells us to, and we see that's what the first church did. Let me just show you two examples. Second Timothy 4, 1 through 2, Paul's telling Timothy, a young pastor, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Wow, he's like setting it up, isn't he? I charge you by all of this, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So it's a command because Paul said that to Timothy, but Paul was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's scripture. God's telling him we have to do it. But then we also see that it was what the church did. Acts 5.42, I just picked one verse. There's hundreds of them in the New Testament that says preaching happened. And every day in the temple and from house to house, because the people would only gather at the synagogue or the temple area, not every week. They would gather um, initially at the synagogues on a reg, on a, as a, the church in a like dedicated. But the rest of the time, they were in houses. They would gather as many could fit, and they would worship together. And then when they could, they would gather as a bigger church. They did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So, obviously, God commands it, and they did it. But let's get a little bit deeper in that, give a more complex answer. Why would God command us to preach? Why would he? That's the question we need to think about. Why would we need preaching? The more complex answer is this. We need God to speak to us. I want to give you three reasons why we need God to speak to us. The first one is that we need, we depend on God speaking to us for our very existence. Think about Genesis 1, right? What's over and over in that chapter? And God said with his mouth from the very beginning, when he spoke, things happened. Things were created when he would open his mouth. He would say and it would be. And that, that's how things come to exist. He even still speaks because our continued existence depends on him. Look at Hebrews 1, the first part of uh, verse 3 says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And check this out. He upholds the universe with super magical powers. That's not what it says, does it? It does have the word power. But what's the power connected to? His word. He speaks and those screws stay in those chairs that you're in. Because the atoms inside of it are doing what they're supposed to do because he's speaking and saying make that happen. I mean, right now, if God would stop speaking, gravity would cease. Matter would cease to exist. This passage right there tells us that when God speaks, the very, our very existence depends on that. He has to keep speaking all the time. That's pretty awesome. And you can see that multiple times in the Psalms as well, where God's voice is what is keeping everything going. Our scientists try to figure out things like, well, how does gravity work? And they're not sure, I go, jesus speaks right it's interesting because all sciences is observing what jesus is doing it's needed we need to observe how he works but it's really ultimately about him speaking but let me give you a second reason why we need god to speak we depend on god speaking for our meaning and our purpose let me help you think about this you may have to close your eyes I can't imagine very well without my eyes closed, but imagine you're Adam or you're Eve. You just came into existence. You have no memory. What would have it been like if God did not speak to you? You wouldn't know who you were. You wouldn't know why you were there. You wouldn't know what you were. You'd see all these other creatures and you're like, I'm different. And You would be looking for purpose and meaning and if God wasn't there to explain it to you, you would be hopelessly lost, wouldn't you? Can you think about how that may be a lot of reason why we're such a depressed world? Because... God has spoken and told us what our purpose and meaning is, and if we're going to say, no, you don't exist, I'm going to try and find my purpose and meaning apart from who made me, well, good luck with that. It's going to be awful, won't it? Um, I don't know if I put this on a quote. I didn't. A guy named Mark Dever said, either he speaks or we are forever lost in the darkness of our own speculations. Speculations. Unless God speaks, we're lost forever in the darkness of our own speculations. We need God to speak so that we can know our meaning and purpose. Our maker and sustainer and king, we desperately need him to reveal himself to us. And think about this, as the sovereign one who needs nothing to sustain him, nothing to cause him to exist... He's completely free. He would be completely free to never explain himself. Think about that, the God who makes the universe. He's the king, there's no one beside him. There's no reason why he needs to be transparent with him, with us. But yet in his graciousness he disclosed his privacy. He turned away like I don't have to keep myself private. I'm going to explode and show you myself. I'm going to explain myself. I'm going to reveal myself to you. That's what he did by speaking to Adam and to Abraham and to Moses and to us. He speaks. He reveals himself. You know, on on one hand, God has revealed himself without speaking, right? That's what Paul says here in Romans 1.20. For his, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, people, are without excuse. Because we can see there's a God, but he didn't stop there, right? He showed more. Think about this, when Moses asked God to reveal himself. I don't know if you remember the story in Exodus. Moses asked God to show himself. When he asked him to show himself, you would think, in your mind, in my mind, I would think the thing he would do is to somehow display his power, rip open the heavens, shake the mountains, right, reveal the galaxies and all their beauty. You would think that God would say, boom! But that's not what he does. When God asks, when Moses asks to see his glory, read this. This is Exodus 33. Moses said, right before this, God tells Moses, you're going to lead all these people to the promised land. And Moses is like, man, I need you and I need your presence to do that because these are idiots. That's basically what he says right before this. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of a rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I will take away my hand. And you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You kind of get the impression that he's going to, if he's going to put him in the place of a rock, that it's going to be a displays of crazy power. And it is going to be a glory he can't look on. But look what happens. The next, right after that verse, the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone. Because if you remember, right? The reason Moses thought they're idiots is because he came down with the Ten Commandments from the first time and sees them having orgies with with golden idols and it's craziness. And that's why he he broke them. (laughs) So God's saying to Moses, let's try this again. And this time I'm going to show you my glory. Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by morning, come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. So he's ready, he knows God's gonna do his thing again on this, write the commandments and God's also gonna hide me in the cleft of a rock and show me his glory. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And I have no idea what that means, that God (laughs) stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, proclaimed. Okay, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. So, how did God show his glory there? He spoke, he revealed himself with words. We minimize words. We want emotions. We were talking about this this morning. We want all kinds of experience. God spoke. The one who makes and sustains the universe, though, spoke. Revealed himself with words. Now, granted, God also demonstrated his power to Israel in multiple ways with miracles, does he not? Even in the wilderness, rock, water coming out. But his primary way of showing Moses, his glory in revealing himself is, I speak. He speaks to him. Did you know that the most frequent phrase in the Old Testament, it's over 3,800 times, are three little words, and God said. It's some kind of variation. The Lord spoke and God said. Almost 4,000 times you see God said. God said. Obviously, I think you can see we desperately need God to speak to us, and when he does, he reveals himself to us, and that helps us know why we are here, what we're doing, what we're supposed to do. Now, the big question is, okay, that's great. How does that relate to preaching, Paul? Well, let me read this another quote from Moeller. He says, God's revelation, so that's him showing himself, is the radical ground upon which we dare to speak of God. Our God talk must therefore begin and end with what God has said concerning himself. Preaching is not the business of speculating about God's nature, wills or ways. That's not what preaching about is for me to speculate, but to bear witness to what God has spoken concerning himself. We need preaching because we need God to speak to us, to reveal himself to us. And without that, we have no meaning or purpose. We will be lost in the darkness of our speculations. So there's two reasons so far we need God to speak to us because without him, we can't exist. Without his speaking... Secondly, we need God to speak to us so that we know who we are, why we exist. But I think there's a third reason for preaching, related to preaching, but why we need God to speak to us, and that is that we depend on God speaking for faith to become a reality in us. Let me show you what I mean. In Romans 10, Paul says, as typical in the middle of a long, long sentence, he says, because bestowing riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here, the apostle Paul is saying that great news of the gospel, right? That if you believe that Jesus is Lord, God raised him from the dead, you confess that with your mouth, you will be saved. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, right? Jew or Greek. That's awesome. That's the gospel news. But then Paul goes on to ask a very interesting question. Very interesting question. He asks, how will someone believe a message they haven't heard? Check it out. He goes to the next line. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how in the world are they able to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without Someone preaching. And he goes a little bit further than this. Think about this next. And how are they to preach unless they're sent? So the, the, the Spirit has to send them. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who's has believed what he has heard from us. Now look at his conclusion. So faith, your belief comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. We need preaching desperately because through preaching of the word of God comes faith. Faith in that gospel, faith in that God who's revealed himself and told us who he is so that we know who we are. So we need preaching because in it God speaks to us and creates and sustains in us faith. So, I hope you see from just why do we need preaching? Well, because preaching is some way, in some way, God's speaking to us. And that's very troubling for me to say out loud. I hope you'll pick up on that here in a little bit. Because I am not God. We know that. My wife knows that. But preaching... This is all in that is implied that when preaching's happening, we're somehow expli- speaking for God. That's scary. So let me ask the second question Why do we need this thing called expository preaching? Sounds fancy. <laughs> but in order to explain that, I wanted to show you a passage from Scripture where I think we see an example of what we call expository preaching. So in Nehemiah, The story of Israel, we're in Joshua, right? And they're moving into the promised land. God tells them, you do all these things and obey, I'm going to bless you. But if you read in Deuteronomy, there's a whole chapter on what's going to happen if they don't obey him in the promised land. He says, you'll be cursed. And eventually, you're going to be taken away to another land. Well, they move. I'm going to steal the the plot line from Joshua and give you the end of the story. They don't do it. (laughs) It fails. They end up... um, being taken away to Babylon eventually in the Old Testament, and they have to stay there for 70 years. That's almost two generations. If a generation is 40, then the people that are in Babylon that are Jewish are brought back as God promised to Israel. And the Book of Ezra and the Book of Nehemiah happen in this time frame after they've been brought back. And these people that are here, hearing this pass, in this passage we're about to read, know why they were taken away to Babylon, why their parents and grandparents were taken away to Babylon. They know that they did not heed the word of the Lord, that they offered up sacrifices to idols, that they, it was horrible. And these people know that. And this is where this this passage then starts here. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So bring the scriptures. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate. So outside of Jerusalem, there are gates. There's like 12 gates. I think I've got the number right. Correct me if I'm wrong later. There's certain gates, and they all have names. This is a gate in Jerusalem named the water gate. From early morning until midday, and the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And just from an interesting historical side note, that's why pulpits have been built. Church history looked at this passage. You can look and they say, well, that's what we do. We can make them weird and different, but they're a wooden platform. And Ezra opened and he listened. That next verse lists a bunch of names, and so I just skip over that and go back to the next five. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, meaning up on the platform. And as he opened it, all the people stood. I'd love it if that, when we have our scripture reading, if we would stand in some more formal churches, they do that because they say, this is the word of God. Anyway, they stand, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Because the worship band rocked it out. Not what it says, is it? Nothing wrong with the worship band rocking it out. I love that. But that's not what drove them to say, Amen, Amen, and bowed and worshipped God. Because they heard God speak from the law. Now, check this out. And verse 6 is another list of names. (laughs) And, oh, actually, it's right here between these and the list of all. The Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Now, what I said, the reason we're going to this is because I think it's a, really one of the only examples where we see an in, kind of an opening up of what does it look like when someone stands up and teaches from the Bible. We don't see a lot of examples of that in the Bible, interestingly. We have a lot of history we can read from the church that explains. But right here in the text, we see something about it. These people, two generations removed from the people that originally lived in this land, when they originally lived there, they spoke Hebrew. Two generations later now, they don't speak Hebrew. They speak Aramaic, which is a variation of Hebrew influenced by Babylonian. They come back. So the original law of God's written in a language they can't even really fully get. And they need someone to do two things. Read it clearly. And I don't think that means it's like diction. I think it means giving clarity to what's being said. And then they gave the sense. What does that sound like? Sounds like explaining the text. Explaining the text with a goal so that people understood the reading. To make it really simple, there's a great scholar who's written a blog post on expository preaching, and I want to give you his definition. Expository preaching is an attempt to take the inspired word of God, have it miraculously conveyed through a man of God by the very power of the Spirit of God, so that the assembled people of God have their hearts spoken to by the very God. He probably resents that. <laughs> write that down. <laughs> Me calling him scholar. But th- I think that's a very helpful definition of what expository preaching is if I was going to like simplify that expository preaching is explaining what God said in the passage it's not rocket science but you may be like okay I don't get it Paul what's the big deal because isn't this what all preachers do Mm, not so much I know some of you have even started attending our church because you've been disappointed by something ain't happening and I couldn't put my finger on it but I want to try and help you out a little bit, okay? There's a difference between expository preaching and other kinds of preaching, and one way to reveal the difference is in the irony of actually what I'm doing this morning. Have I taken a passage and unpacked it and explained it to you today? I've, I've, I've hit a few, but on the whole, is that what I'm doing? I'm teaching this morning on something that I think the Bible on a whole teaches as a topic. It's, the irony is not lost on me. I'm telling you that I think the better way of preaching is expository preaching, but to do it, I'm doing a topical sermon. <laughs> so some of you are like, oh, I don't get it still. Let me, let me try to give you uh, an example here. Um, topical preaching is, is, is that and it's topical but it's not textual. Um, and I do think, Matt and I do think, that topical preaching has a place in churches. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this little short series. Um, and I'll explain something in that. But I do think there's a danger in strictly doing topical preaching, okay? So I don't think that topical preaching is wrong. Don't hear me saying that. What I'm hearing is I think there's a danger if all we do is topical preaching, and one of those dangers is inserting your own ideas into a text. Um, in order to do this topical kind of preaching, and it's exactly what I the process I did this week, I knew my topic was expository preaching. You take the topic and then you go find the texts that support that idea. right? If if I was to ask any of you, and you're gonna like, don't ever ask me to do this, but to go do some marriage counseling, you would be like grabbing your Bible and find all the verses you can find about marriage, wouldn't you? That's topical, right? We're gonna go find what does the Bible say about, and that's fine. The problem can be though, is that we know certain verses, and we have certain notions about what those verses say, and so we go to those verses. And use those verses to communicate and prove our point. And the problem is, is sometimes those verses aren't really telling the notion that you thought they were. I mean, you've heard the phrase taken out of context. Here's a classic one: Philippians 4.13. Okay? So let's say I'm preparing a message on doing great things for God. There's a little Jack Nicholson there, sorry. Um, <laughs> So I want to find passages on, on the, supporting that idea that we should be doing awesome things for the kingdom of God, right? And I know those are there, right? There's lots of them. Matthew 6.33 comes to mind. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? All kinds of things. But it's very often that someone, a pastor, will go to Philippians 4.13 because Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Right? fantastic. The problem is that Paul says that right in the midst of a train of thought about money and not having money in order to do ministry. And Paul says, I've learned to be content in all things, whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, you can see that the idea for doing great things is there, But don't go and apply it to you winning the Super Bowl. Right? And that's just an example. Like, be careful. Because the danger is that we can take our own ideas and insert it into the text and think, this is what it says. Let me throw these out here for you. Now, I can do that myself, even in other kinds of preaching. But you just have to be, we have to be very careful. I think the difference that may be helpful here is... As an illustration, I was thinking this morning or this week, like, how how would I explain the difference between topical preaching and expository preaching? I think topical preaching is a little bit like an Easter egg hunt, where you're taking your children through and you're showing them where the eggs are hidden. But even more than that, you've actually already gone through the room or the yard and opened up the eggs and found where the Snickers bars are and not where the Almond Joys are even though the Almond Joys are the better candy. Uh, (laughs) Right, I knew that was coming. But you found where the favorite candies are, and then you go get your kids, and you show them the Easter eggs that you think they ought to have. That's topical preaching. There's nothing wrong with it. You're showing them great eggs, the ones that have great candy. The difference is expository preaching is I don't know what this text is going to say. I'm going to come to it and learn the text with my illustration. It's you going through the room with the kids and helping them find the eggs because you don't know where, what's in them or where they are. The difference is I do a little bit of research. The illustration breaks down. We come to the text every week. I'm just going to go to the next chapter or the next section, and I want to learn what God has here. And because I've been going from one passage to the next right after it, I'm, it, that's going to inform how I understand this passage. So if I'm preaching through Philippians, when I get to Philippians 4:13, I'm going to know what Paul had just said because I just taught on it the week before. Does that make sense? It's not. Don't hear me saying this is a wrong thing or a right thing. I'm saying it's a wisdom thing, and any kind of preaching should be explaining the text anyway. I think there's a second danger here in topical preaching. preaching is that we, there's a danger of missing out on all that God wants us to hear, right? All that. And I was just telling Matt this yesterday. Like, maybe your thing you want to talk about every single Sunday is evangelism, and you want everybody to be out there sharing the gospel, and every sermon's about that. Well, that's great. The problem is is the whole counsel of God has a lot more to say, Right? And that's the danger of topical preaching because eventually you're going to run out of topics you want to talk about. God never runs out of topics if I'm just going right through. So, but here's what's interesting is I think there's dangers in expository preaching too. Um, one of those dangers in what we do, and I know this from experience because I've been in different churches around the Midwest that preach in the same approach, is that it can be intellectual preaching that hits your head but misses your heart. And that, to me, is awful. I would rather you preach a topical sermon that's explaining what the text is saying, but the Spirit of God convicts me with it and encourages me to worship and follow Jesus than just getting a lot smarter. So if you see me, and I'll speak for Matt here, if you you feel like our preaching is going that direction, tell us. Say, hey, that's all cool and stuff, but I don't understand. It feels like it's really heady. And I'm not doing my job well. I think another danger in expository preaching is that you may not take the time to focus on those areas that need to be focused on. That's why we're taking a break with this is so that we can make sure we're thinking about some topics. And sometimes a marriage series may be good, right? So, um, and then finally, I just want to give you a danger that I think is present in all kinds of preaching no matter what you're doing. And that is forgetting that preaching is speaking for God. There's a deep, deep seriousness in preaching. And me studying it this week, I was just overwhelmed with that truth. I, kept forget, I forget sometimes that I'm standing up here, and I'm kind of like a prophet in the Old Testament, not like telling you the future, but I'm kind of like saying, thus saith the Lord. That's awful if I get it wrong, right? And I have to remember that my job, Matt's job, is for us to say, this is what God's saying. And that brings us back to God speaking. Now, I'm not saying that somehow he's channeling me, some weird thing like that. I'm saying I know that God has spoken because Second Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God. And all scripture is profitable for us to make us into the kind of person that's fully equipped to do what God wants us to do. So... Anytime I'm preaching, I'm supposed to be saying what God's saying and explaining it to you, giving the sense like we see in Nehemiah. So why is this so important? It's because I believe that preaching is one of the two primary ways that God speaks to us today. That other way would be you on your own with your Bible open and asking the Spirit to help you understand it. I think it's the other way that God speaks to us Primarily um so finally i just want to wrap up with how can you participate in the preaching right in one sense as i was studying for this i kind of felt like this is just for me and matt like we need to know these things we need to be reminded of these things but i we want you to be reminded of these things because we need to understand why preaching is such a big deal it really in one sense could be considered the central act of christian worship it's a big deal Luke 18, 8.18, Matt covered this a little while ago. Jesus says, take care then how you hear. For to one who has more will be given, and from one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Take care how you hear, and I think we need to apply that to how do we listen to sermons? How do we prepare to hear sermons? And there's an old guy, a dead guy, from the 1700s named George Whitfield. Looks like George Whitefield if you see it printed out. America has a history of some revivals that have happened. And there was something called the First Great Awakening. It was in the early 1700s, and George Whitfield was one of those speakers who spoke and man, what God was doing was amazing. Lives were being changed and he would speak. He had a sermon Sermon 28, actually, if you go and get his book of all the sermons, where he has six points of how you can participate in preaching. I just, I've put these in my own words because they're old words, is, and they're kind of, you got to think on them. So I've tried to put them in my own words. First, come on Sundays longing to hear from God, not simply to make your knowledge of, of facts about God grow. But to actually know God better and hear what He would want you to hear from Him. Come expecting to hear from God. Second, pay careful attention to what is spoken. And I want to read to you what Whitfield said. If an earthly king was to issue out a royal proclamation on performing or not performing the conditions therein contained, the life of or death of his subjects entirely depended. So if, he's, if a king came and said, you have to do these things, or if you don't, your life depends on it, how eager the people hearing that royal proclamation would be to hear what those conditions are. They'd be like, I need to know what I need to do to stay alive. And shall not we pay the same respect to the king of kings and lord of lords and lend an attentive ear to his ministers when they're declaring in his name how our pardon, peace, and happiness may be secured. In other words, hang on to these words. And I know it's hard, especially when we do long sermons like I'm doing right now. Pay attention and ask for God to help you. Number three, put aside any negative feelings you may have about the person preaching. I didn't make this up. This was George Whitfield's, right? It, this is too. Ter- difficult, especially in bigger churches. I, I'm not saying that y'all love me. I know y'all don't love necessarily think I'm the greatest, but that really happens a lot in the bigger churches because of stuff that happens, you know. I don't care if it's a big church. Listen to what Whitfield's saying. Put that aside, whatever personal feelings you think about that person, because he's up there trying to explain to you what God has to say, and put that aside. On the same token, this next one is don't think more highly of him than you ought, right? If you think he's the greatest thing in sliced bread, so what? He's a man being used by God to try to explain to you what God has to say. And put those things aside, and there's a real danger we know in thinking more highly of the, the pastors, because we sin, and we're going to fail. We're, gonna, we're a mess. We need the gospel as much as you do. Fourth, or fifth, ask God, how do you want me to respond to this message? How do you want me to respond to this message? And the second one's related to it, or this next one, the last one. Pray to the Lord, and I'm just quoting him right here. He says, pray to the Lord before, during, and after every sermon. He says, pray that God would give the preacher power to speak and to grant you a will and ability to put into practice what he shall show from the book of God to be your duty. Saturday nights, before you go to bed, and maybe that's another thing I could add to his list, Saturday night, go to bed early, (laughs) right? Um, Even be mindful of the entertainment the night before because that will influence your thinking and your ability. But pray, and on the way to church, pray, God, would you speak to us? Would you help us to hear from you? and get that guy from the pulpit so that we don't see him but only hear from God. Right now I'm not in the same way that I think that God enabled people to write scripture like he uses our personalities. I get that. But I'm trying to explain what he says. So pray and enduring especially like when you you know your mind's drifting. <laughs> God help me. Help me stay on track here. And after and that's what I'd like Matt actually to do to help us close. it <laughs> didn't tell him I was going to do this. But if you would just pray like the content and, and about our church and about our ministry and preaching and that God would continue to speak to us. Because when there is a failure in church to do these basic things we're talking about in this series, God's judgment comes. And his spirit is pulled back. I've seen that in some really big famous churches up in Minnesota where I lived, in the Twin Cities. You'd probably know the pastor if I named the names. They, it went downhill because they got distracted. We want to be to stay on track and hear from God. So Matt, would you close us in prayer? Thanks.
1: right as you were saying that my mind was thinking about 2nd Peter chapter 1 verses Hmm. 2 and 3 but especially verse 2 um, you can detect that for this to happen God's grace is necessary is it not a bunch of sinful people coming together and 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 2 says may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our and of Jesus our Lord, and so I want to close with that thought that God would take his the knowledge of him that it would be conveyed to us, and that grace and peace would be multiplied as to us through those things. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, understanding maybe a little bit better what a great weight great burden it could be to to search through your scriptures, to attempt to say clearly what it says, Lord, to, to give its sense when needed, that all might understand it. But what a great, great burden that is, one that, Lord, for any one of us in this room would be overwhelming and unattainable. But Lord, we also know that your spirit helps us in our weakness. And so, Lord, as we come together each and every week, Lord, and through the week leading up to it, help us to do our part in coming to you, crying out to you, praying to you, Lord, teach us, show us, open your word to us, help us to see the marvelous things in your word. Lord, they are truly marvelous. Lord, help us not to miss them each week as we plow through and dig through. Lord, the weeks that it feels like work, Lord God, I ask for your blessing on it. The weeks that it, it just opens up miraculously, easily, Lord, we thank you for those as well. But ultimately, in all things, Lord, we're crying out to you for your blessing on the words that are spoken from this pulpit. Lord, I would like to close that thought by also saying, Lord God, if, if we are to veer from that, Lord, I would ask that you would shut us down as quickly as possible. Lord, if we are to veer from your truth and from your word, Lord, we know that's happened throughout history. Lord, we know it's happening around us in this country that we live in. Pastors leaving your word. Lord, if we veer that way, God, I ask that you would shut us down and stop our mouths, and stop our ears. But Lord, instead, I pray that you'd sustain us through all. Let us be a beacon of your truth to whatever extent we can be. I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed.